welcome in to the Flag Hunting Podcast. My name is Chris. I'm joined by Ian, and we're a podcast specializing in motorsports and golf. And here we are, Ian. Welcome back. What's up, brother? How you doing? We're, we're going. I mean, we are we are definitely in a cold slump right now, but we well, are we're gonna. <laughs> yeah, but we're still we're still at least from the inception of the podcast, we're both still doing okay. Correct. Correct. All it takes is one, baby. That's what I keep telling myself. You know, we've both been close. I mean, heck, you've three races. You've got a first and a second. So um, it's not not all bad on your end. Yours either. We You have, what, three top three, three seconds? <laughs> so, yeah, well, <laughs> I guess if you want to count Hatton, which was just like a, a depression live ad on like Sunday afternoon. <laughs> when I, To be fair, he was it was also like a stale number, like he was 50 to one at every other site. And I logged on to our uh, main site and he was 200 to one. I was like, yeah, I'll add Hatton for 200 to one. And you know, it was enough of a sweat to kind of get me through the night. And uh, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you want to talk about Bay Hill too much or you want to talk about Fontana or I'm sorry, uh, Vegas, right? Vegas. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, week behind. But yeah, I don't know how much you want to talk about with those events, but um, a couple of so exciting I, things. Yeah, I think I think I do want to talk about Bay Hill for a second. I think I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant and I want to see what you think and if you need to either calm me down or if you're going to keep hyping me up. <laughs> but so. A few weeks ago, we had all these tournaments on the West Coast, and we had Rom complaining about, it's a birdie fest. This isn't golf. And then this week, we have a, a tournament where the winner is minus five, and come Saturday morning, McElroy was all about basically the winner to look for, and then plays himself out of it, and then after the tournament, he's complaining, this is too hard. This is bullcrap. <laughs> why, why are these pin locations so bad? And I don't know. For me, it's like, right. come on now, like, yeah. it's either too easy or too hard. What do you want? I mean, I guess to an extent, I get some of Roy's extent, uh, comments because it's like, why make it so hard when people are preparing for the TPC for the players next week? Yeah. But but I mean, like, isn't this what we want? Wouldn't we rather see a harder course than see a minus 30s? Yeah. To answer your question, absolutely. I think most golf fans really enjoyed uh, the weekend carnage and, you know, even if you, things didn't go your way as far as results go, like it was a really good show. Like it's a very rare sight that you see these guys fighting for pars on every hole that you see them dealing with this thick, rough and, you know, blustery winds, firm greens. Um, I think Roy got a little bit misconstrued. I'm, I'm a bit more on Roy's side than I am Rom's side. Um, although like, I don't know. The reason I'm the reason I was against Rom's side just going off a little tangent was just the fact that like he knows what he's getting into. Like if you sign up for the Amex, like you know the winning score <laughs> should be 25 under. Like I don't know what you expected here. It's a fucking pro am. So he can like there's plenty of events where John Rom can dominate. Like this is Hudson Swalbert's domain. Um, so just let him have this little Amex <laughs> championship and you can go dominate Tory Pines next year. Um, but I think Roy's main points, um, and I think it was a little unfair because he kind of got misconstrued in a way. He was kind of misquoted. Um, because the main, I think the question he was asked was how are, how is the PGA tour going to be able to draw, or how is Bay Hill going to be able to draw more elite players? Um, because if you didn't know a couple years ago, um, a lot of the Florida events got rescheduled and particularly the players got rescheduled from May, uh, to March to kind of fit in with the Hondas, with the Bay Hills, with the Valspars. And so as a result of that, um, a couple of the tournaments, Honda and Bay Hill in particular, kind of got shafted in terms of their field strengths just because a lot of guys 
frankly, n- number one, they don't want to deal with having to fight for par. And, you know, like they don't they don't like writing sevens on their scorecard, like just like all of us. Right. So I think that has a lot to do with it. But also uh, to your point, like these guys are preparing for the biggest purse we have on the PJ Tour that we'll talk about a lot later. Um, you know, the kind of the crown jewel of the season outside of the four majors. So, yeah, there's a lot of incentive for these guys to just make the trip to Ponte Vedra, um, you know, practice TBC Sawgrass, one of the best practice facilities on earth. Um, and kind of prepare for this $20 million purse that uh, that we're going to be playing for here in a couple of days. So, um, But I think what Rory's point was, well, his overarching point was not that the course was difficult, but that it wasn't fair. And what he means by not fair is good shots that he was hitting were not getting rewarded um, to the point to where the golf course, similar to what we saw at Seneca Kills when, when Brooks won in 2018 at the U.S. Open, where – I don't know if they lost control of the course um, or this was their intention. Maybe they didn't account for the winds that were going to be popping up there. But when you have these swirling winds and you have these firm and fast conditions, these balls that are landing on greens, even though they might be well-struck good golf shots, were bounding over the greens into hosled rough, right? So Rory's point was like, what more can I possibly do um, you know, to, to keep myself in contention? Like, I'm hitting the shot I want to hit. I mean – and, you know, the results aren't going away, which is part of golf. Like, you get bad breaks. But, again, you can sense, you can understand the frustration. I mean, Hovland had a very similar problem on the last hole. He needed a birdie um, to force the playoff with Scheffler, assuming Scheffler didn't bogey uh, himself on 18. But Hovland hits a shot right at the flag, probably lands two yards onto the green, right in line with the flagstick, and kind of bounds to 15 feet past. You know, like, Hovland kind of looked at the shot afterwards as if, like, like that should have stopped. You know, that should have checked up. You know, right next to the hole, he hit it about as well as he, he possibly could have. So there's something to be obviously said for these guys enduring conditions that are um, just out of this world difficult and probably as hard as we'll see all year. Um, you know, huge credit to Scheffler for gutting out a, an incredible win. We'll talk about, I'm sure, him a lot later when it comes to his propositions going forward and at Sawgrass. But, um, but yeah, I do kind of get Roy's point where it is, um, yeah, like – you do have to kind of keep the integrity of the game intact in a way. And also if you are looking to draw the biggest names in world golf, like they're not going to want to come to a tournament that is deemed to be unfair playing conditions by, you know, one of the grand bashes of the game, right. Or by a lot of the players that, that might've played there. Right. So if that becomes the overarching narrative of Bay Hill going forward, then they might lose a lot of the fields that, or a lot, even a lot of the field that they already get. Um, um, and maybe fade even more into obscurity as, as hard as that is to say for such a historic event at a historic venue. So um, I'm, I'm kind of with Rory. I mean, I certainly enjoyed the show. I'm sure there's plenty of guys out there. I mean, Rom was one of the one on record and said he enjoyed the test. There's guys out there that really love the challenge. Uh, and I'm sure the fact that Rory shot what 76, 77 or whatever he shot on the weekend um, had a lot to do with his post round comments. You know, he got a micro microphone stuck in his face after, you know, he basically just, you know, he was basically, it was the tournament, it's hard to say the tournament was his to be lost on, on Thursday, but I mean, he got, went out there and shot uh, seven under 65, looked like vintage Rory, um, like everyone everyone on Twitter was taking the victory laps after round one, and um, yeah, I'm sure he's as mad about his performance as he is the conditions on the course, so um, I know that was a bit of a rant, but um hope I was able to <laughs> alleviate any concerns you had. Uh, no, no, that makes, that makes sense, like hearing what was asked, makes sense why he said that so i didn't know what the question was asked i just i saw those comments and i was like i was still a little perturbed by it i was like 
Yeah. Okay. But I guess, but I guess to play devil's advocate, advocate to that too, though, is, um, I think I had saw another tweet that said like, it's not entirely the course's fault either, because like, apparently they haven't had rain in like 21 days or something like that. Whereas like, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago. I think leading up to either API or the TPC Sawgrass, there was like the opposite, where there was like 21 days of rain before that. So then the course was like in a muddy mess. So it's like, how do you? Which is the weather? The, yeah, the weather is like such a big like impact of the course too. So it's it's kind of hard to like. I can see the course's probably frustration with his comments too, because it's like, all right, how do we how do we approach this? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Any, I mean, anytime like someone with Rory stature in this game speaks out like that, like it it does negatively impact your your events cachet, right? So. Um, certainly like that's really well said. I, I don't think Bay Hill, um, intended to make the playing conditions like that unfair. I mean, the first couple, couple of days, like there were no complaints at all. It's really when the wind started to really whip and kick up, um, and players started to lose a little bit of control of the golf ball that was further exacerbated with the firmer conditions. That's when things started to, to kind of spout out of control. But Hey, I mean, that's golf, man. Like you, you have to, at the end of the day, I mean, everyone's playing the same conditions and the, and the best man won out. So, um, congrats to Scotty. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoy Bay Hill. It's one of my favorite tournaments all year. That was quintessential, um, just difficult Florida, Florida golf. So I, I enjoyed my time, and um, I'm sure Rory um, will at least clear up some of the – if there is any kind of negative vibe around him and Bay Hill, I'm sure that will be cleared up because he's always been a, a big-time advocate of that, that, that event. Good deal. All right, so let me flip the script to, to NASCAR now. So – there was a lot of uh, comments from the Kyle Busch camp about Alex Bowman winning this race. So I guess what is uh, I want to know your opinion. I don't know if I saw your opinion in our in our NASCAR chat about this. So I know that he's a little bit of a spoiler of some bets for us. But yeah, what do you uh, sit on the Alex Bowman hack talk? I don't know, man. He outdrove the best <laughs> driver in NASCAR, right? Like over yeah. the last lap. So I mean, what is there to say, Kyle? You start you you had two fresher tires and you restarted on the inside of row two, like, I'm sorry. Like it happens. Like that's NASCAR. I mean, fuck who Kyle Larson. If, I mean, if we want to take out cautions, like if we want to take out cautions from the last 20 laps of NASCAR, then Kyle Larson shouldn't, shouldn't have won the championship last year. You know what I mean? Like this is just the breaks of sport. Like sometimes like bounces don't go your way. I'm sure Kyle has been on the receiving end of many good bounces in his career. He's been fortunate enough to, to be where he is. albeit a guy with immense skill as well. I remember, I mean, heck, Elliott and Blaney crashing in the last lap of the clash of Daytona on the road course last year. Kyle running third by a mile ends up winning that. You know, I'm sure he's not in any kind of rush to give back that trophy or the, or the prize money that came with it. So I think, it, I mean, it, it just reeks of sour grapes. It's the, it's the reason why people don't like Kyle Busch. Like, uh, obviously, you know, I, as a NASCAR fan, I, I respect the skill he has as a driver, but shit like that just kind of turns me off, man. Like you can't like, that's your fellow competitor. That's your peer. Like, so like to, put him out like he's a young kid too i mean it's not like he's like it's not like he's been a veteran in the sport like bowman's like 10 or like 12 years younger than kyle bush and he's gonna like lash out as a veteran in the sport i don't know it just it rubbed me the wrong way i'm i'm actually more on team bowman now after this week than i than i maybe ever have been i was pretty neutral on coming this week but to see like the backlash of everyone like piling on him i was like no like fuck that do your thing alex like who, who gives a shit what they say yeah it's pretty exactly how i feel i mean like from a from a fan perspective like i've always kind of somewhat been a fan of bowman but from a gambler's perspective it's it sucks because i feel like i'm never on bowman when he wins yeah um so 
yeah, I, like I think I told you guys in the chat, it seems like every time that I'm on Hendrick, I'm going to bet Byron Larson or uh, mm-hmm. Chase before I even look at Bowman. So maybe as a note for myself going forward, whenever I really like Hendrick, maybe just throw a FOMO like dollar on Bowman just in case. <laughs> but right, I mean, yeah, I mean, right. he's he's pretty much established himself as. I mean, dare I say the new closer of NASCAR, you know, Har- we haven't seen Harvick be the closer in a while. So, you know, I-, I like Bowman. I think that I hate the hate that he gets. Yeah, no, definitely. It, I am interested to see. I'm interested to hear because it, it's I don't know. It's, it doesn't it's not often you hear the word closer in, in motorsport. What do you what do you mean by that? And, and is there a particular attribute you see in Bowman, like a mean streak or something like that, that you see that, that allows him to, to rise these occasions at the, at the end of the laps? Because he put it on a great couple laps there to haul off Larson in the end. Yeah, so the term isn't really used all that much, but where it's been used the most is Jimmy Johnson and Kevin Harvick are the two main names that were kind of the closers of NASCAR in recent history. Because right. it seems like they're just those guys where, like, they're going to hang around all day, 10 top 10 top five not really leading a bunch of laps but then when it comes down late in the race they're going to make enough adjustments and stay in the mix to like oh yeah. there they are they won the race um so like yeah jimmy johnson used to be that way during his seven championship run that was the way he was during a lot of that kevin Harvick yeah. kind of gained that name um following kind of during in and out of parts of the same time johnson was doing it but we really haven't had somebody like that in a while so that's why i, I saw some people throwing that around on twitter of if Kyle, if uh, Alex Bowman wants to really make a shirt, he's already profited off of some of these shirts from these quotes from Denny and Kyle now. Uh, yeah. But if he really wants to make a shirt that might stick, why not? Why not just name himself the the closer of NASCAR? So. Yeah, uh, and that's that's interesting. It's um, so it's it's not so much a mentality as is almost like a savviness. Like he he think he has that veteran savviness of when to stay out of trouble, when to push your limits, when to push your equipment. Um, and just he he understands the, just the flow of a of a of a race and how to kind of be there at the end. Yeah, that's that's a really um yeah I didn't think about it like that. Um, I, I think that he he still needs a few more to be really really probably be named that nickname because he's only he's still only got six wins in NASCAR so he definitely needs to he needs more than that to kind of gain that that attribute. But um, yeah I I hate the hate that he gets but as a gambler I need to put more <laughs> I need to put more on him. <laughs> yeah okay. Okay, so so Bowman's stock is is on the rise in your eyes. Then you think he surpassed Byron for you? Is he um is he the number three Hendrick now or no? You, no. You're still you're still more bullish on Willie. I'm still yeah. I think Billy, what well, Willie B still has the uh, higher higher ceiling here. Um, and then we'll probably touch on it a little bit here in, in just a few minutes. But yeah, here I am kind of talking about how I do like Bowman, but um, and I actually for those. That are listening right now, if you don't listen to the Full Tank with Phil podcast, I was a guest on his podcast this week, and we talked about this for a little bit. Uh, but Phil actually took the time to go back and look at the stats for Bowman the week after he wins, and they're not great. <laughs> so we will not be talking about Alex Bowman this week. Okay. So full fade on the 48 then for the second straight week. Yep. All right. 100%. Good deal. Well, where are we at this week, Chris? Uh, give me a give me a rundown of uh, the old rough Ruoff Mortgage 500. Yeah, we were talking about that before we, we got on about how terrible his name is. For the second straight week in a row, it feels like we have a very bad NASCAR name. But yeah, the Ruoff Mortgage 500. I have no clue if I'm even saying that correctly, but that's what it looks like. And we are going to Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, it is Phoenix Raceway. 
the last little stint of our little West Coast uh, swing here for NASCAR. Uh, this track is a one-mile low-bank intermediate track. Um, you'll hear some fans of NASCAR call it a short track since it is only a one-mile track, but to me, it's it's still an intermediate. It's a sh- I'm going to refer to it all the rest of this podcast as a short. I'm going to call it a short flat, but to me, it's it's really it falls into the category of a um, just like a short intermediate is for what it calls for me. Um, but yeah, so in, in itself, I think this this week is going to be a mini test for a lot of teams for the season finale, because if you know you're going to be have some guys in the mix, you're going to want to see how your car performs here now and how you can perform on that car for the season finale later this year. Because uh, we saw, you know, in the fall, uh, we had a really good race here. We had um, all four of the championship four leading. And at certain points during that race, I think every one of those championship four had a chance to win this race. Uh, we saw a lot of swings um, from who was who was fastest because it seemed like Hendrick uh, being, you know, Kyle and Chase had that edge um, like restarts and early in runs where they were the fastest. But then the longer the runs went, the more we saw um, Denny and Martin Truex taking the um, faster speeds there. Yeah. What's up? Can I just actually we are. Oh, yeah, we're in Phoenix. I was going to say that sounds awful like like a championship race. And then I realized that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 That's where we're that's where we're at. That's where we're at. But um, yeah, so I think, um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how this car does at this track. However, one thing I did want to bring up is um, I think for the first time this year, this is the first time where I'm actually starting to feel a little bit more confident with the data that we have. The reason that I say that is because um, in the last two years at these short flat tracks, in the old package car, we were still running a low down, low downforce, high horsepower package. So we were running this, we were running a uh, 750 horsepower. Now we're running a 670 horsepower. So it's a very similar package to what we've already ran here for the last two years. So even though it's a brand new car, I think we can take a lot of the metrics that we've seen the last two years and use that for our data today. So that's one thing that I'm, I'm really liking about this week. It gave me kind of a better feel for the board. It makes me a little bit more confident with my bets and um, a little more confident with um, telling you guys, giving you guys enough information to, you know, go out and, and choose your own bets. If that's what you, if you don't want to, you know, follow along with us, I want to give you some other ideas to jump on. Um, so yeah, for my model, uh, one thing I want to kind of do today, I don't think I've really done this yet in the podcast. I think I've kind of touched on it a lot, but I've never really kind of sat down and explained what my model is. I always reference my model. Um, and I know Ian typically takes a lot of time to give us a full breakdown of, you know, your key metrics and which ones you're going with and how you're breaking down your model. So I kind of want to talk about what my model looks like. Um, so for this week, my comparable track data other than Phoenix is Richmond and New Hampshire. These are both other short flat tracks that we can compare to. Um, the secondary tracks you could use if you want to build a model of your own, you can also use Nashville from last year. Um, however, since we've only had one race there, it's too much, too small a sample size for me. So I excluded it from mine, but it is very um, similar to that track as well. So if you want to use that, you could. So with that being said, I have the following 10 metrics that I use this week, um, which is the most I've used yet. So that should tell you, uh, I've, I've constantly kind of grown this metric as, this, as this podcast has went on. I usually start, I think I started when I, the first few podcasts we did this, I think I had about six different metrics I was using constantly, and I've slowly kind of built it as I found more data sources out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 10 that I'm using this week, I'm using 
Um, the driver rating and average finish since 2019 at Phoenix, Richmond, and New Hampshire. So that's your first six. Then I'm using a career average finish at Phoenix, a one-mile intermediate average finish, short intermediate total speed ranks, and then your total speed ranks at Phoenix over the last four races. So I'm taking a lot of things into account there, but um, and I'm doing them all as a uh, even disbursement just because I've got even though I've got two for Phoenix, two for Richmond, and two for New Hampshire, I'm bringing in two others that are strictly just Phoenix, and then I'm bringing in one other that is including two races at Phoenix as well. So there's a lot more Phoenix in there than, than it might sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything is weighed pretty evenly, I feel like. So have um have the recent winners of the now rough mortgage 500, do you see correlations um, over time with winners at New Hampshire, winners at Richmond, or are you more looking at, um, just the same? I mean, I guess the NASCAR field doesn't change all that much. So you just, are you more so just looking for the guys that just continue to turn out those top results year in, year out? Are you asking like, do I consider that in my model or like, well, I'm, I'm saying like, like I understand the fact that they are corollary tracks in this case. So Phoenix is very, of all the, of all the tracks on the NASCAR schedule, um, Phoenix is most comparable to Richmond and New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you go back in those histories, like just thinking back off the top of your head, um, have you noticed, um, like, does the, do the results back up? Um, like just kind of the eye test of, of seeing, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> of just the mile intermediate or the, the one mile short intermediates. Um, or, I, I, yeah, I think, yeah, no, I think I, I kind of what you're asking, but, and I think I'll kind of answer it in a different way. So I think, okay. Um, yes and yes, I guess to both questions, but I think from a, are they comparable from an eye test? I'm going to say yes, because I think a lot of times when you see these tracks, you kind of see the same drivers or the same teams out front or the same drivers and same teams struggling at these like tracks that I'm categorizing together. Right. And then to the second part of that question is. There are a lot, a lot of minds out there that are a lot smarter than me that run actual like statistical regression tests off of these things, yeah. and they're the ones who come up with which of these comparable tracks are. So I'm sure you probably have something similar for the golf world, yeah. but so there's two sources for me that I use. That that's the first thing I go to before I do anything is I go to those two sources and see, all right, what tracks are they using as their comparison models? Like which ones ranked out as the best models? Um, so that's one of the first things I even do before I even start putting together any data. I, I kind of decide like, all right, what are they using and do I want to build mine similarly? Yeah. So I, I think that kind of answers your question. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I was asking a lot of you to kind of, to just list off the winners of Richmond and New Hampshire over the last like two or three years and then the, the winners of Phoenix. But, um, I'm sure you'll get to, to guys that, that have fit all three tracks, uh, very shortly. Yeah. And so I guess, and I get, yeah, I guess, so I guess to answer that other part of the question is, once I decide how I'm going to build my model, then the next step I do is I'll go and I'll pull the previous race results from the tracks that I'm running the model in to kind of see who won or who was top five or who was top 10 and kind of just, and that, but that's more of an eye test for me. That's not really like, that's just, that way I can say like, all right, here's my model. Here's what it spit out. Now mm-hmm. does that match up to kind of like what the winners actually look like? And most of the time the answer is yes. So. And do um, you, um, have you found like a, Obviously, there's no like golden metric or, or um, you know, or Jesus metric for for lack of a better term that that kind of that encapsulates everything and does everything for you. But have you found? I guess total speed makes the most sense for me at, from a like from a gambling perspective as like 
what's the best indicator? Because obviously, obviously, sometimes, as we saw last week, uh, actual like race result isn't always the best indicator of who had the best race in general. You know, like you could just have one bad break. Uh, I guess total speed, or is there a metric that I'm missing that that you typically use uh, to maybe dig deeper than the race results? For me, the the two main ones is is driver rating and then the total speed ranks. Yeah. The driver rating. I mean, they're probably both. They kind of both take in similar factors but what's cool for me for the total speed rankings what that really is is like it takes in how fast were you in comparison to the other 38 drivers over the first quarter of the race and then how did you rank in the next quarter of the race and then it, so it takes those onto account and then it takes an average of those four categories then that gets your total speed for the entire race so even though so i guess as an example for the fall championship race mm-hmm. you would have seen you would have seen Hendrick be fastest in the first probably 200 and you would have seen JGR be fastest in the last 200. So in the end, it kind of all evened out. Yeah. Um, So like, I think I'm pretty sure even just look at the numbers here. So yeah, so we had Truex was actually total speed was the fastest at the fall race. Uh Chase Elliott second, Kyle Larson third, Denny Hamlin fourth. So like I said, it kind of, it literally panned out to exactly how we thought. Yeah. Which is Um, exactly what you want to see. If you're running models, like, you don't want the you don't want like too many outliers like just like all of your top ten like you want you want to be able to because obviously you're a fan of NASCAR you watch all the races I'm a fan of golf I watch all the all the tournaments and it's always the best feeling when your kind of preconceived notions of like what you think you know um, based on just being a fan of being a you know being a an observer of the sport um, matches up with the mathematics and the analytical side uh, of the models that you run so that's 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 a good insight into kind of the process you go through for sure. Yeah, and then, so I guess the last part I do is I take that model, once I'm done with it, take out, you know, like I'll copy the one through 30 results it gives me, move it over to another sheet, excuse me, and then I, this is where the manual work comes in a little bit, I manually type in all of the current odds on the books, right? Um, and then I kind of, I put a ranking to that of how the board have it, has it ranked, and then yep. I just run a simple sum formula off of it to say, like, hey, what is my model versus the boards have it? And then yep. I just sort it by, hey, who's the best values here? And then that's not necessarily who I'm always going to bet, but it, it might throw some guys at me that I didn't catch. Yeah, like if a guy's 20 to 1 and he's, like, fourth in your model, like, it's probably just worth a couple units just um, just to follow the numbers kind of a little bit blindly if the Vegas is missing something here. Right. Yeah, right. Okay. So yeah, so. that's a little background. I feel like I've never really kind of broken that down. I always just kind of talk about, hey, here's what my model is, or hey, here's what I found. But I wanted to kind of give a background background of what that looked like. So in the future, when you hear me saying, you know, that I ran a model, you know, you could ask, well, hey, what what'd you run on your model? Um, yeah. For sure. So. I mean, if I, if I can spend 30 minutes of podcast going over uh, proximity ranges and TD Green stats, <laughs> then uh, you're more than welcome to to nerd out a little bit on total speed scores and driver rating for sure. So uh, I guess we're, we'll get to the... Uh, the actual outright odds board. I know we got a couple yep. of picks at the top. All right, good deal. So, the uh, the outright odds board. That's that's what we're going for first. Uh, we always start with a with a big ticket items here on flag hunting for the roof mortgage five hundred. I say that different every single time. But uh, again, for the second for the third straight week, Kyle Larson is your favorite at uh, four to one, uh, followed by Kyle Busch and Martin Truex at seven to one. Chase Elliott at eight to one. So Chris's aforementioned top four from last year's championship. Leading the top for the odds board, we also have Denny Hamlin at nine to one and Joey Logano at nine to one as well. Uh, so of those six uh, under ten to one, big name drivers, obviously high pedigree. I'm sure they have some good results here. Carl Larson obviously won the championship here. Uh, what? Uh, who caught your eye there at the top? 
Yeah, so I kind of knew going into this that I wanted to take one of these top guys. I didn't know really where I wanted to go. This was oh, this one was kind of I was kind of led on the model to tell me where to go, just because I feel like you're just you a case for everybody, basically. Yeah, you really could, and I'm sure you had a similar similar uh, debate with yourself this week for your board when we get to yours. But oh, yeah. yeah, so I think before I even looked at anything, just from an eye test and going back and watching the races from the last two years. I really thought I was going to bet Joey Logano. Okay. That was the guy that I was really leaning towards. Yeah. Um, so let me throw out just a few stats for him real quick. But I did not go with him, but I want to throw out some stats for you in case somebody else decides to do want to go with him. Um, but, yeah, Joey Logano has finished between second and fifth in four of the last five at Phoenix. The one only one he didn't was the last fall race. And you could technically, if you wanted to, throw that out. Because if you're not part of the championship four, you're probably going to try to stay out of the way. Um, which me and Phil actually talked about in his podcast. He was actually kind of fading the fall races a little bit in his data because mm-hmm. of that reason. Guys may not have as good as finishes because they're not really worried about they're not in the top four, so what does it mean to them? Yeah. Um, but in the three races prior to that at Phoenix, um, Joe Lagana has a first, second, and third finish in that order. So I really thought that's where I was going to land, but I think the plus 700 number kind of shied me away from that a little bit. Um, at least that's what what is he at now? That's that's what he was at when I was looking at earlier. He, he's at nine. He's at nine to one actually, Joe Legato now. So interesting. Yeah, he's actually he's fallen behind uh, Elliot and he's co nine to one with Danny Hamlin. So he's got quite a few names ahead of him. I'm not sure I'm not sure who you did go with in the, at the top, but um, that's quite a drift from seven to nine, especially at the top of the board. That's a what one percent dip in your odds. Yeah, that. I don't have to see my face right now, but I'm like, oh, should I change my pick here? Um, yeah, well, I guess you just kind of led right into it. The guy that I ended up taking was Denny Hamlin because he was at nine to one and he was priced behind all these guys. So when I when I ran my model, I had kind of all these guys. I had my exact order of my model came out as Denny, Joey. Then there's an outlier in there, but then Truex, Chase. Okay. So the only one up there, the best of those was Denny. He was number yeah. one in my model and he had the the longest odds of those four yeah so absolutely. that's that's kind of where i landed but man now that you're saying jerry i'm really starting to rethink things <laughs> but let me let me just tell you what denny hamlin's why i went denny and maybe you'll be like okay i understand now why you went with him yeah. um so yeah denny it, at phoenix in his career has two wins and 16 top fives in 33 appearances at richmond he has three wins and 15 top fives in 30 appearances and then at loudon or new hampshire he has three wins and 11 top fives in 28 appearances. So between the three tracks that I use as my main um, corollary here, he had eight wins between those three tracks. Excuse me. And then at um, at Phoenix, he's been the second best driver um, in the last three years or six races at Phoenix. Only 1.6 points behind the aforementioned Logano, which is why I'm also rethinking this. So Logano is the only one who's rated better than him in the last six races at Phoenix. Um I think it's important to note because of uh, kind of how we said earlier with this, it's a very similar package in these last three years that we're running this year. Um, so that was why I felt very confident in that and using that stat. Um, and then, yeah, JJR has always been very strong at this track. You can make a point that at one point last year, um, he was the favorite for the cha- to be the champion. Uh, him and Kyle Larson were kind of dueling it out pretty much all season long. Now, to counteract that, Denny has had a very slow start to this season. So far this year, he's finished 37th, 15th, 32nd. Um, I don't remember where he is in points, but it's not great. Um, yeah. So to me, to me, it's just I think it's going to be the motivation here of like he's got to have a good finish if he wants to vault himself back into 
the yeah. supremacy of, of this odds board or of the championship board. Yeah, another bad uh, finish here, and it's maybe some uh, some warning signs, definitely. Yeah, maybe I mean, all, all it really would take would be a victory, honestly. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm saying more. So, so, sorry, buddy. I'm, yeah, I'm go ahead, go ahead. So, um, just like to your point, like obviously there there are courses in on the PGA Tour, there, there are tracks and NASCAR that every one of these drivers circle on their calendar. They're like, okay, we, you know, obviously they know that this is a place that they can obviously win. Um, and I was just gonna say, like with those three bad finishes to start the year, like to your point, Denny like knows he needs, uh, he needs a really good result here. Cause if, if not, you know, if he, if he, I don't know if the equipment, uh, fails him or, you know, he gets into trouble or something like that, all of a sudden, um, you know, obviously you're not thinking about like him missing out in playoffs or anything like that, but you know, there's a lot more to figure out in the 11 cam, uh, for sure. Um, I guess, um, yeah, my, my initial question would be that he has struggled, uh, so far, but it doesn't seem like, uh, obviously three races is not near big enough sample size to really draw too many conclusions there. Um, I know you have, uh, due to our prior talks, I know you have some money left over in the budget. Would you think about no going double outright at nine to one, or is that maybe too rich for your blood? Uh, do you want to maybe underexpose yourself for that race this week or, um, or is Logano nine to one, maybe the, the final piece of the card? Yeah, I, we I'll might have to sort out. Yeah, you might have to tune back into Twitter to, to get see what my final decision is going to be. But I, I'm very tempted to click right now because as of you know, you, like we said, you talked about this before we got on here. I've only got eight units invested right now, so I've got room to to grow. But I was I was trying to save some units this week just because we haven't really touched a lot of the, top, the prop market this year, and I haven't I haven't really had other than Reddick. I haven't had a live ad or sorry. Almirola and Briscoe are my live ads at Daytona, and then Reddick was our privately live ads. But I wanted to be able to have something left in the budget for Saturday when we see practice and qualifying. We actually get to see some numbers behind it. I feel like for the last two weeks, there's been some times where I'm like, man, I still wish I had some numbers in the some money left in the budget to bet. So part of me wants to save, but if Logano hangs around this 901 much longer or even dips even further, I think we are jumping on board for sure. Yeah. I'm looking up the NASCAR Royal Mortgage on DraftKings right now, and Logano's eight to one. So it doesn't seem like there's that much of a discrepancy. Um, obviously, you know, you'd rather have the nine than the eight, but um, yeah, it, I would be more concerned that Logano would drift towards the towards the seven we saw it open if DraftKings opposed to seven as well, or some of the other sites were on seven. So maybe something to monitor throughout the week if you start to see the, the steam coming in on Logano, because obviously smart people. Uh, the running models like you are, are going to be on him or are going to, you know, obviously know about his history at, at these short intermediate tracks. So, um, yeah, definitely something to, to keep an eye on as, as the week goes along. All right. So we'll move on, I guess, uh, unless you want to talk about the other names. But it, it seems like your, your two favorites are the two that are least priced um, at nine to one right now. Um, yeah, I will touch on Martin Truex for a second. Yeah. So Denny and Joey were, were first and second in my model. Truex was fourth in my model. Um, but Truex is very very good at short flats yeah um he if if it wasn't for him spinning so i don't know if everyone remembers from last year but at the new hampshire last race last year um in the very early laps it actually started raining and nascar hadn't thrown the caution yet and on that lap that it rained we saw truex denny and kyle all spin out and that pretty much cost them their days well if you take that race out of the data Truex would absolutely he probably would have bombed out my model because he has he had two wins and a 2.3 average finish with 81 average laps led at short flats last year right so Truex is accurately priced I think and it, actually I can make the argument that 
he should be closer to Larson than anybody else. Okay. Um, so, again, at this point, if you're listening, and I haven't convinced you on Denny or Joey, Martin is also not a bad bet. So I think if you want to start your card with any of those three, yeah, I, I can't blame you. Um, I just, like I said, the only difference maker for me was at the time when I when I was preparing all of my stuff, Logano and Truex were at 715, Denny was at 900, and I was like, well, if I like them all evenly, I'm going to take the guy at the higher odd. Yeah, no, absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. And obviously, there's a lot more drivers to get to, so we can't, you know, blow our entire bunch on the top as much as, um, you know, it's so tempting every single week. You see these guys at the top of the model, you know, obviously, they have the capabilities to win. Um, but obviously, you don't want to overexpose yourself, especially when we've seen a lot of these kind of smaller teams uh, really show something in the, in the first part of the year. So we move on past 10 to 1 here. Uh, Blaney would be your next man at 12 to 1, 14 to 1, William Byron. Um, his Hendrick teammate, the aforementioned Alex Bowman, is 18 to 1. Kevin Harvick, also 18 to 1. Tyler Reddick at 22 to 1. And Chris Bell at 25 to 1 rounds out everyone from 10 to 25. Um, what are your overall thoughts on this range? Are you are you partaking or are we going further down the board here, bud? So I thought I was prepared to say we're going further down the board, though, but the last name you said is where we're actually going to be going. Um, so, but I will um, I will touch on Harvick and Reddick. I think Harvick and Reddick are tempting. Um, Harvick has an incredible track record here. He's a nine-time winner at Phoenix. He's got 17 straight top tens here. And in the last 10 races, he has finished between fourth and ninth place in eight of the last 10. So I think Harvick, if you don't want to take him to win, I think he's probably going to make my card as a top five bet this week. That was actually one of the props I'm considering. He's plus 240. That's I was just scrolling down to look at that price. Plus 240, yeah. We Honestly, we might be adding that right now, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, and then Reddick. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time here because I think I'm going to say this every week, but Man, the fact that Reddick's odds, yeah, the fact that Reddick's odds are dropping and we still haven't seen him break through yet, I mean, we're not going to have many opportunities to bet him at this at this number. So I am probably going to have a FOMO bet on him. He's oh. not going to be on our. He probably won't be on our card unless I decide to add him last minute. But I can't add. Him, Logano, and Harvick all at the same time. So, right. Right. Um, well, but I just want to I want to put that out there that I don't I think Reddick at twenty. Actually, what'd you say? What is he on Bovada? Did you say twenty? Twenty-two on Bovada. Uh, to finish top five, he's plus three twenty-five. If you want to kind of do that, because it does feel like, I mean, is this a place historically that has favored? Um, it sounds like a place that like it's just Chalk City, and that that stands up based on the prices. Like I think the books know what they're doing. Like pricing Reddick at twenty-two to one. We've seen him flash a couple weeks in a row, and now um, kind of we're they're hanging that 20 number that everyone likes to kind of take punts on. Um, do you ex- do you truly expect like a guy? Um, I, I'm just gonna like I know we have guys on our card over 20 to one, but in your heart of hearts, like it, it does kind of feel like this is maybe more of a chalk fest than uh, some of the races previous, right? Yes and no. Okay. Um, and I think that's why I have one guy at the top and two guys kind of lower here is yeah. because let's just go back three weeks from now. And let's just say, what if we were to start out this year with Cindric and then Reddick or Eric Jones mm-hmm. and then Ross Chastain last week? Yeah. Where would we be sitting right now? I mean, where would all these guys at the top be? Would they all be in the 12s? Like, would the odd board be completely shaken up because we had three Dolphins. kind of... Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's still a good time to go down the board a little bit until these other teams 
sort things just out. completely take over yeah yeah interesting yeah no this is i mean this is the the challenge we face in nascar and in golf like you're kind of dealing with incomplete information here you know like you'd love to kind of have definitive answers and everything but um at the end of the day you kind of you you have the information in front of you and you just have to trust kind of what you see and and, and the gut of the gut in gut reaction of kind of what you think is going to happen i mean that's that's kind of the business you're in uh at gambling so um yeah redica 22 certainly uh certainly captivating there but it does seem like bell is, is your boy at 25 he is, is that correct? and I feel very strongly about it. Um, you can actually still get him at 28 on some books. Um, and then I think I had kind of told you earlier, I'd, the next guy on our card, I had you guys are already in on him with me because I told you guys this morning to jump on him. I almost put this guy, I almost put Bell in with that guy um, to tell you guys to both go ahead and jump in on him before he moves. Um, and the reason I say that is because um, if you were to go out onto NASCAR Twitter right now, he is the favorite among a lot of people right now. Everybody's jumping on board. Yeah. So that's both, and I'm sure you feel similarly sometimes for golf, it's both like encouraging but also scary because it feels like when everybody's on somebody, they never win. But at the same time, when everybody's on them, they're on them for a reason. And if you're not on them, you're going to feel like an idiot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's usually the school <laughs> I go with. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I was kind of already, I think I'd kind of touched on him last week where like a lot of people were on him last week and I didn't quite see it. This week is not that case. This week I was kind of already eyeing him beforehand and then I happened to go on Twitter and see everybody else was on him too. And I was like, well, I better jump in now. So yeah, to kind of throw some stats out here and I guarantee you, I'll be convincing you to push the click button any minute now, but let me just go ahead and tell you why you should. Um, so last week he was uh, top 10 at Vegas, had a very strong car. Without a spin while he was battling for the lead in stage two, he, I think, would have honestly been a very serious contender to win. And I would have looked like a fool for saying that I was fading him. Um, so, yeah, at the two tracks that I compare to um, Phoenix is Richmond and New Hampshire. He's got two top fives at Richmond and one top five at New Hampshire in the Cup Series. He doesn't have much to show at Phoenix, but JGR, like we talked about, about, they specialize in this type of track. And Bell has shown improvement at Phoenix every time he's raced here. Um, as far as my model goes, Random has the 11th best driver in the field. But the stat that really stuck out for that was that in the last five races at short intermediates, Bell has had the sixth fastest total speed ranking. Um, just last year, Bell went five for five and finishing top 10 at the short flats. He had an average finish of 5.4. And then on top of all that, if you remember from the preseason pod, I mentioned that this is really the first year that we've seen Bell have practiced qualifying in his cup career because he joined by the time he came up into cup, we had the COVID year and we had them, you know, going this whole um, period of time without having practice or qualifying. So he was just showing up to the track and having to learn it on the go. So this year is the first year he gets that he's still very much learning. But with that being said, I was like, okay, if I can't really use a lot of this cup data and I don't have a lot to show for Phoenix to kind of convince you guys, let's just go back and look at, his Xfinity stats. Let's just see how the three tracks that I'm using Xfinity. So at Phoenix, he's got five starts in the Xfinity series. One win, three top fives. At Richmond, three starts, three wins. At Loudoun or New Hampshire, three starts, three wins. Oh my God. So Christopher Bell is very good at this style of track. Add that to the fact that he's driving for JTR, and then on top of that, add the fact that last week he showed speed. I think this 28 number is a mistake, or 25, or whatever, whatever he's at now. Um, I got, I got him at 25, but you know, I, I might just throw a couple bucks on him just to act like I have 28. 
Yeah, honestly. And and to for him and the next guy I'm about to be talking about, if if I was to rank them how they showed out in my model, it's it's a clear like misprice. Um to me, Bell should be more in like the 18 range, like 16, 18 range. Um, and then, yeah, so he, he should be really ranked like similarly to who am I looking at here? Kevin Harvick. Um, is there anybody else at 16 or 18? doesn't look like it. You like Bowman or you like Bell over Bowman, right? Yes. And it's actually funny you say that. Um, so a little, I'll, here, I, I won't say it. I'll just give a little plug. You should tune into the Full Tank Phil podcast this week because that was the head-to-head matchup that we talked about. And we... We are both all over that matchup, so uh, yeah. I think that is a match. It's a head-to-head on um, on a lot of the books right now that you can get, and I think it's a if you don't get it now, they're going to take it down because everyone's betting the hell out of it, and obviously they're betting on the bell side. Sounds good. Sounds good. So I guess that that might um, contribute to to some of the hesitation you have at the top if you feel this strongly about the bottom, and not only with the outright ticket, but you maybe want some top five exposure, maybe want some the matchup exposure. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense why, you know, um, you're, you're, you've always been a lot more prudent when it comes to that. I, I just like to click buttons and, and cash <laughs> nine to one tickets and then <clears throat> and try to do that. But yeah, I, I think if you have this strong of a lean uh, on bell for sure, I'll be, I'll be right there. The outright, the top five and any, uh, any matchup props you, uh, you want to do. So, all right. So moving on, um, past 25 to one, it kind of is a bit of a wasteland back here, but, uh, some really interesting names, actually. We do have, a, I should say, it's typically a wasteland in NASCAR, but this week we have some interesting names. Uh, Eric Abarola is 28 to 1. Then we jump, jump all the way to 40 with Austin Sindri, the, the Daytona 500 winner. Brad Keselowski at 40 to 1. Kurt Busch at 50 to 1. Uh, Ross Chastain at 50. Austin Dillon at 55. Briscoe at 55. Suarez at 80. Eric Jones at 80. And then a whole host of guys at 101 plus that uh, likely don't matter from our perspective, um, unless you want to change my mind on one of those guys. So, um, I know we have one more pick to go. I'm assuming uh, it comes from this range. It does, and it's the first guy you said. Uh, we probably could have loved him in the last range, but it's Eric Almarola. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I texted uh, the guys in my group chat here. I told them this morning to jump on this one before it changes. Uh, as this is another popular one among the masses, if you go out there and you follow other NASCAR experts out there, there's everyone seems to be kind of be on him this week as well. Uh, but, yeah, I was not expecting him to, to be as high in my model as he was. He actually came out to be seventh best in my model. So that would put him in the 12 to 14 range, which would be, which would price him in like the Blaney range. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can get him at 28. He opened at 35. So yeah. to put that into perspective, he is moving. He's moving quickly. Um, yeah. 25 on DraftKings. So yeah, your points well taken. Yeah. So um yeah, he, he won at Loudoun last year, New Hampshire in 2021, which is a short flat. He also has three top fives at that track. And then at Richmond and Phoenix alone, he has two top fives each at both of those tracks. So, yeah, I mean, arguably arguably better numbers than Bell at a better number. Yeah. Um, so, and then, yeah, we're, we, we've been kind of waiting to see SHR make that jump. So I could see people saying, oh, well, SHR still hasn't, they're still not there yet. If there's a week to bet SHR, it's this week between Harvick and Elmerol because this is kind of their bread and butter track. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think I kind of already mentioned that I may be jumping on a Harvick top five or top ten bet. Um, but, yeah, Almarola, I think, like I said, we've already seen him win once at a similar track. I wouldn't be surprised to see him do it again. And what a storyline that would be for NASCAR, too, in his farewell tour this year. 
um, towards yeah. retirement to see him win, to see him win here and go ahead and lock himself into the playoffs. So he knows that his career is, is leaving ending with a playoff, a playoff, uh, playoff run will be kind of cool. So yeah, like I said, not, not a whole lot of stats to jump to throw at you there other than those small minor notes there. But yeah, he was just a guy that he popped at me for the number and yeah, that's where, that's where I'm landing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, so that is the outright card for Chris so far. Again, it's it's Tuesday. It's a bit unfair to Chris sometimes that we have to record this, but the nature of the beast uh, with golf starting on Thursday and uh, our schedules, you know, we got to do this on Tuesday night when when Asker odds come out. Um, but yeah, he does have locked in Denny Hamlin at nine to one. He's locked in Chris Bell at twenty five to one and Eric Almirola at twenty eight. Uh, he should be posting this card later in the week, Thursday, Friday, usually is when he gets it out. Um, it will be on Flag Hunting uh, Twitter. It'll be on Twitter at Flag underscore Hunting. And uh, yeah, any final thoughts? Like, if I, get, I know you have units to play with, are are you leaning more towards props? Are you happy with the RI card, or you do maybe you want to add uh, one more? Yeah, I think uh, I'm really stuck between. I like I made notes for myself. Like, do I want to go ahead and just throw three units on Logano? Right. That way, I have two guys at the top and kind of two guys mid range, and then that'll still leave me with four units to play in the prop market. Yeah. Or do I want to just double down on my outrights and play them kind of hedge a little bit with like some top fives and top tens for, or like maybe like a top three for Denny and a top five for Christopher Bell and Eric Amarillo, you know, something like that. Yeah. So yeah. I haven't really quite decided where I'm going to land yet. Um, but those are kind of my thoughts. I'll probably go one of those two directions. Either I'll be hedging Hamlin Bell and Amarillo with some top threes and top fives, or I'll be going a Logano outright and like a Harvick T5, something like that. It's probably where I'm going to land. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds like we got a good direction coming up. Um, tail on SHR, tail on JGR, and uh, should be a fun one there in Phoenix. All right, so um, I guess we will move right along here into the Players' Championship. Um, yeah, I mean, what else is there to say? It is one of the marquee events on the PGA Tour schedule. I know I'm jazzed. Uh, you should be jazzed, too, even if you don't watch golf. This is one of the most iconic golf courses that we have on the planet, anywhere on Earth. Um, and one of the most exciting tournaments, everyone in the top 10 is here. Everyone, I believe in the top, or actually, yeah, everyone's in, everyone in the top 10 is here. Everyone in the top, like, 50 is here, other than Bryson DeChambeau, who unfortunately had to withdraw uh, for the second straight week, I guess with a hand injury. We don't, uh, there's rumblings of the potential suspension, obviously, with his <laughs> interaction with the Saudi League. But, uh, yeah, as of the official statement, it's a hand injury for Bryson. Hopefully we see him soon. Uh, but, obviously, tough to see him miss uh, kind of two straight events here where he won at Bay Hill last year and then, uh, was in the final group on Sunday at the Players this week, but still plenty of names to go over, a great golf course to go over as well. So, yeah, TBT Sawgrass is where the Players' Championship takes place. Um, again, one of the most iconic golf courses on the planet, measuring in at 7,256 yards and is a traditional par 72 with 10 par 4s, 4 par 5s, and 4 par 3s. So this is the first instance of a Pete Dye Pete Dye design golf course uh, of the new PGA Tour season. Um it's alongside other famous PGA Tour stops, Kiwa Islands, last year's PGA Championship uh, venue, Whistling Straits, the Ryder Cup venue, uh, Harbor Town, TBC River Highlands, two other kind of mainstays on the PGA Tour, all Pete Dye designs. Um, there's people on Twitter and people that are, again, much more than me that can go over this a bit better, but kind of common trademarks you see on Dye designs, um, typically small contoured greens, uh, abundance of kind of railroad ties and bulkheads is more of like a visual um, signature of his, uh, of his works, kind of those... Railroad ties uh, along the hazard lines, uh, usually propped up on elevated greens, uh, expansive fairway bunkering, and a ton of like visual tricks. So you see a lot of double dogleg par fives, ton of blind, land, ton of blind landing areas off of tees. So 
<clears throat> he does throw kind of a lot of wrenches um, in um, kind of in the sidelines of all these players. And some guys know how to handle it. Some guys do very, very well in Pete Dye designs historically. Uh, some guys struggle with Pete Dye designs. So it's, it's kind of a player preference. It's something that, you know, you know, maybe you lend some credence to down the board. I don't really know uh, if I'd be weighing it too much when we get to the elite players, because obviously these guys, if they bring their games, I don't care where they are on the planet. They can obviously contend. Um, but yeah, something to keep an eye on this week. Um, yeah, for the first Pete Dye designs. So if you want to get more into golf architecture, um, it's a good place to do it because Pete Dye is obviously one of the more iconic kind of American architects uh, uh, of the 21st century here on the in the golfing uh, United States. So we'll move on to past winners here at the Players Championship. The past winners and last year, uh, 2021, Justin Thomas won at 14 under overly Westwood. Uh, obviously, COVID canceled 2020s after one round, but 2019, Roy McIlroy. Beat Jim Furyk by a shot, winning at minus 16. Uh, in 2018, Webb Simpson won at minus 18, a four-shot win over Xander, Charles Schwartzel, and Jimmy Walker. 2017, C. Woo Kim, uh, minus 10, uh, with a three-shot win over Louis Oosthuizen and Ian Poulter. 2016, Jason Day uh, with a four-shot win at minus 15 over Kevin Chappell. And then 2015, Chris's boy, Ricky Fowler, notching his uh, kind of probably the biggest, definitely the biggest moment of his career with a uh, playoff win at minus 12 under over Sergio Garcia and Kevin Kessner. So Ricky got the job done. Unfortunately, not in the field this, uh, this week, but you know, hopefully he's out there grinding. I know he is. And uh, you know, we can see him that he can play his way into this uh, event next year. So common threads, I guess, with the uh, the last six winners. Uh, I mean, you look at JT, Rory, Jason Day, Fowler, Webb, like five of those six are truly blue chip elite players. Uh, you look at the OWGRs of the guys at the time of they of them winning. Uh, JT moved to second in the world after his win. Roy moved to fourth in the world after his win. Uh, Webb was on a bit of a downslope, <clears throat> kind of a downturn of form. So he was only 20th in the world after his win. Uh, but he was already he was already a major champion at that time. He won at the Olympic Club uh, at the 2012 U.S. Open uh, and had been as high as number five in the world previously. And then since then, he's obviously um, kind of peaked as well. He was another time. It was he got back to top five in the world. Um, so again, Webb's pedigree can't be disputed. He was still uh, right up there with a lot of these guys. Jay, Jason Day, obviously in 2016, was right in the middle of his historic run at World Number One. Uh, he won eight times in 18 months, um, and this was obviously one of the uh, the crown jewels of that kind of run. And then Ricky Fowler was uh, was obviously a top 10 player in the world uh, year in year out there in, in his stretch in 2015. So um, so yeah, a lot of blue chip talent, a lot of big names, and um, although we will get to it kind of later on, this course doesn't exactly uh, separate maybe the top from the bottom, like a lot of the major courses do, or like the Torrey Pines of the world and, uh, the Bay Hills of the world sometimes do. Um, this course can let a lot of the, the lesser named, uh, kind of shorter hitters, guys that you wouldn't expect to be competing in such a marquee event. I mean, you saw Lee Westwood in the final group last year, Jim Furyk almost took out Rory in 2019. Um, you know, guys like Kevin Chappell have played really well here. Doug Gim was in the final group on the weekend last year. Uh, our a friend of the pod, Doug Gim there. So uh, it's not uncommon to see some kind of some long shots out of nowhere and compete at Sawgrass. We'll get into maybe kind of why uh, as time goes on. But when you do look at the winners, um, JT, Rory, J-Day, Fowler, Webb, uh, Siwoo, obviously, I mean, is a bit of an outlier in this uh, particular wall of champions, but he's a three-time winner of the PGA Tour. Uh, he obviously, he is one of the preeminent Pete Dye design specialists on the PGA Tour. And, you know, we've seen when Pete, when Siwoo gets hot, like he gets crazy hot. So, um don't discount the the, the, the the talent that that he possesses and um, certainly as a, as a worthy champion here. So uh, we kind of went over the names as far as the play styles go. Uh, the the last six champions kind of show that many different types of players can also have success here. Uh, so JT and Roy, I mean, they're permanent ball strikers. They struck the absolute shit out of the ball. 
Um, when they're on, it doesn't really matter how they're putting uh, to an extent. As long as they're not missing every four-foot putt, they're going to be right in the mix, and that's exactly how they got it done. Siwoo led the field in scrambling. Uh, it was a tough, kind of blush-free condition. Um, he, he had the highest winning score, or I guess the worst winning score, uh, of the last six games at minus 10. Uh, but really tough conditions, one by three. Got it up and down all week long, and uh, his short game really carried him there. And then Webb in 2018, legit, he legit made every putt and chip he looked at over those four days. He gained 14.4 strokes uh, with a putter and around the greens. Um, he actually lost strokes on approach, which is very, very rare for past champions here, um, but still one by four just because he, like, legit over those first two days, Webb was just, um, if you guys, you know, want some entertainment, just go back and watch kind of highlights of the 2018 players. The first two days were just basically like, oh, here's Webb Simpson from 40 feet. Oh, he made it <laughs> times like 15. And then I think he had like a 10 shot lead end of the weekend. He didn't give that up and end up winning it there. So, again, you can have uh, success in many different ways here. Some of it's condition dependent, but a lot of it is the fact that it is a shorter course. Um, you don't have to be a bomber. You don't have to be, um, you know, a preeminent putter or short game player. You can kind of get it done your own way here. Uh, and the past games have kind of proved that. So. Uh, as far as the kind of trio of Florida courses go that we've been to in the last three weeks, Bay Hill, PJ National, and Sawgrass, this should actually be the least challenging um, for these guys to make birdies on. We've seen, I mean, Honda's, the winning score was minus 10. Bay Hill, the winning score was minus 5 last week. Um, I don't expect the, I mean, unless conditions get crazy bad, uh, which they could over the weekend, I don't expect the winning score to be that bad. Um, certainly a, a place that you can uh, you can make a plenty of birdies on. Uh, the rough is pretty much non-existent and very, very, uh, hardly penal if you happen to find it. Um, and then when you, again, when you take into the lack of length compared to Bay Hill and the two additional par fives you get compared to the Honda, um, it's, it's in the cards, but unlike these last two weeks, it's in the cards. When these guys can go out there and fire 63, 64. Um, and you know, if you're playing well, you can definitely make a ton of birdies around Sawgrass. Um, but also the volatility does come into play. We're still in Florida. Um, I don't expect a winner to be getting 25 under. There's no birdie fest, like putting context, like rum so eloquently stated, um, because I mean, it, it possesses that famous kind of Florida, just wild volatility that we've seen the last two weeks, uh, waters and play on 17 of the 18 holes. And there will absolutely be objections. Like there will be some big names on Thursday morning that you wake up and they've just made an eight on a hole. And you're like, well, he's just done. <laughs> so good luck uh, on DraftKings. Good luck to those. This is kind of why I was talking to Chris before the uh, podcast started about potential prop plays and matchups and stuff like that. And um, we'll get to the forecast later on. But just based on the amount of water on this golf course, based on the conditions, I mean, it's just you can just have it, it's Florida. I mean, you can just have two bad shots and like you're just done. So you're missing the cut and you're going home. I mean, we saw it with Paul Casey a couple years back. He was. Super, super popular on DraftKings. Um, it was kind of when I first was getting into the golf space. I uh, was kind of cruising right along on, on Friday and then puts two in the drink on 17, makes a seven. And uh, that was the end of Paul Casey. He missed the cut and, you know, sunk a lot of people's DraftKings lineups and I'm sure outright and prop picks as well. So, um, yeah, that's kind of why I, I kind of alluded to it being the Daytona 500 uh, earlier with Chris uh, of, of golf because, again, I just think um, – it's not particularly a course that separates the top from the bottom, like an Augusta or like some of the major venues we're going to get to later on in the year. Um, but it's also uh, a place where, again, Sawgrass doesn't care who you are. Like if you like it will chew up and it's I think it's if everyone in the field. I think at least one time it's chewed up, chewed up somebody and spit them out. You know, like uh, when you look through like course history and tournament history again, uh, it's very rare you see a guy that continually plays well uh, year in, year out here. Like there's always seemed to. There always seemingly some kind of ejection happening, um, you know, in, in someone's recent form. Some guy could go 
you know, Webb was a good example last year. You know, he finished T12 first, T12 over his last three starts. Comes into last year in pretty pretty good form. He, everyone was on him, and he misses the cut. So it's just one of those courses that super hard to really, you know, just go balls to the wall 100% certainty. Um, but, you know, that's what makes it fun as well. And you can, you know, I think there's a much bigger, much better chance to cash like a 40, 50, 60 to 1 guy uh, compared to maybe some of the other stops we've had uh, in the recent past, at least with the lead fields. All right. So, um, yeah, so I kind of lead to the weather earlier. Uh, so kind of further complicating the scoring projection this week is the forecast of inclement weather. This is the first time on the PGA Tour all year we're going to have some uh, maybe potential tea storms and rain. So um, and a lot of wind coming up in the excuse me in the um, in the weekend rounds. But um, I think you can make the case like I, I really went back and forth on this. That's kind of why it took me so long to, to come up with the golf cart is I was trying to figure out who it really um, affected the most, both in the positive and negative way. I think you can kind of make a case either way. So the case for the ball strikers who tend to like Hovland uh, is a good example last week. Ball strikers that don't have a great short game, obviously when the winds kick up and they start missing greens, like they can start racking up bogeys in a hurry. Um, but then you have the rain that's going to be ever present this week, and that softens conditions up, that softens greens up. Obviously, you get guys like Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, Justin Thomas with irons in the hands and soft greens. We saw it happen at Kapalua um, earlier this year, the first event of the year. I mean, it was soft conditions. They could have, they had so much control of their golf ball uh, and were able to just take take uh, take game and fire. Um and uh, get to crazy low scores. Yeah, Chris. So, and you might be alluding to this. I'm, I'm get, might be getting ahead of you here, but could you also make the argument that, so I'm actually, I had the weather up on my screen because I was waiting for you to get to, get to this. So I, was, I kind of pulled up Puncher Major yeah. Beach here to look at it. And Thursday and Friday are obviously the highest threats as we have like a 90% chance for rain both days. But Saturday yeah. just says AM thunderstorms. And then Sunday and Monday <laughs> are sunny. So let's just say one of these days gets postponed and we get pushed back a day. Now we're back to normal conditions again. So I'm assuming that has something to play with this. Right. Um, and that's kind of why I just like it's a lot of words for me to say. I just said, fuck it. But I kind of did just <laughs> say fuck it because at the end of the day, like there wasn't the only time I really paid a crazy amount of attention to the weather is uh, like you said, if it's consistent all four days or like it is oftentimes the open championship, like the open championship port rush was a really good example. Where it was just rainy, windy, nasty all four days. And guys like Lowry and Fleetwood that really um, and, and Kepka that really excel in the winds uh, were able to kind of take advantage of the conditions. Uh, here, like you said, it is kind of hit. It's kind of hit or miss. It's a forecast that's three days out anyway. Um, and again, it's gonna be it's gonna be scattered thunderstorms. There's not really a, um, a conclusive advantage for either waves. So the guys that tee off on Thursday morning and Friday afternoon, I didn't find any conclusive advantage of the wind uh, compared to the guys that tee off Thursday afternoon and Friday morning. Um, and so, yeah, I, those, those first two days are really the ones that mean the most. Cause those are the ones that obviously you have the information when these guys are going to tee off. I just couldn't find anything conclusive. And so I just went, uh, with the numbers. I went with the guys that I thought, um, I had the strongest leans on and yeah, as much as I'd like to give some kind of phenomenal insight on how this weather is going to affect it. Like, I don't really think anyone knows all that much. You know, I just think I, like I said, I think you can make arguments for either one. Obviously if the, if it's, super soft and the winds kind of die down the ball strikers are going to have a field day if it's you know super windy and and these 15 20 mile an hour gusts kick up um all day long guys are going to miss greens you're going to want guys that can get up and down and scramble their ass off so um again there's nothing conclusive for me and so uh my my really main objective just get as many guys to the cut line as possible and uh on the weekend man you just kind of have to let it let it ride because 
Um, you can't really control when your guy tees off on the, on the weekend. You, we have no idea who's going to be in the final group and who's going to be teeing off first on Saturday. So um, that's, that's, that's the, uh, the weather overlook for me. So this may be a dumb question, but as let's just say we have a NASCAR fan here listening and they might yeah. not know the answer to this, but does golf, no matter what, play 72 holes or would they cut Thursday and Friday short for any reason? Or would they like, is, I don't know. I guess I don't know. Like I assume that they just play 72 no matter what, and they would just push it to Monday, but yeah, it would have to be some pretty like extenuating circumstances for them to like cut a tournament short. I don't remember if they've ever done it. Like, I think they would just literally just continue to postpone it. But like you said, the fact that uh, we do have kind of sat Sunday and Monday as a buffer um, I think we're at very least guaranteed a Monday finish. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully, obviously, like for entertainment value, I don't want to have to watch. Uh, I don't want to see the final one on Monday. Like I've got, um, I've got things to do on Monday. You know, I can at least veg out on Sunday and, and watch some golf and, and not feel bad about watching eight hours of golf. But um, having to do it on Monday would be a little bit tougher. But either way, um, yeah, I, 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 to your point, I don't think uh, we're going to see a rain short. It's not going to be a Talladega from last year where, where. Uh, you know, Doug Gim's going to lead after 54 holes and they're going to call it um, prematurely with John Rahm down by one. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't sweat that. We're going to we're going to play the full 72 and uh, it's going to be it's going to be a real scene, man, because um, I talked about mostly the Thursday and Friday weather. It's it, like you said, scattered thunderstorms. The winds are a little bit down, but a lot of rain. Um, and the good news is the thunderstorms don't seem to be all that prevalent. It seems to be just a lot of wind and rain, which we saw two weeks ago at the Honda. They will play through. Uh, it's really just when the course becomes unplayable, when you start to see standing water everywhere, that's when they'll shut it down. Or obviously with lightning uh, and inclement weather like that, that's when they'll start to shut it down. So it doesn't seem like there's a ton. There will be a ton of stoppages, hopefully. Um, but we will get that final finish. And uh, that weekend, if they do end up playing on Sunday or Saturday, especially Saturday is the day that I've, I've um, kind of looked out for because it looks to be about 20 mile an hour sustained winds, maybe 25, 30 mile an hour gusts. So we could really see an ugly day on Saturday if, if that's the case. But like I said, you can't really you can't prepare for that as a handicapper. You just kind of have to, uh, again, let it ride and, you know, hope you guys prepared enough. You know, I maybe maybe wait a little like I maybe I don't want to take guys that um, historically really struggle in the wind. And I did kind of wait that a little bit and 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 bet that guys that um, are prepared for winning conditions. Cause I think you will have to kind of uh, you will obviously have to endure that if you want to want to win this week. But in terms of. Um, kind of the, the wave stacking and and having tee times as um, as markers for my picks. I, I couldn't find anything on that. So, um, yeah, that's probably enough about the weather because I haven't really said anything in like five minutes. So uh, we'll go to uh, the key stats and the model uh, very quickly before we get to the odds board. Uh, so my key stats this week, uh, strokes gain approach, um, much like usual, is kind of is the key stat here at Sawgrass. Really, uh, when you talk about short golf courses, this is a Pete Dye, very positional golf courses. So, um, with it being 7,200 yards, a lot of kind of water and play, pretty tight fairways as well. You really won't see a lot of like, uh, the long drivers go out there and reach back for 350. It's, it's very much like a Honda classic, uh, in that way where there are some forced layups. There's places where these guys are going to have to club down, especially the longer guys are going to have to club down. You saw Bryson hit a lot of four irons, uh, here last year, just to get in the fairway. And when that's the case, when distance is mitigated from a lot of the top guys, you see, obviously the approach play really become a big factor because obviously if everyone's going to be around the same spot, it's really like if you're forced to lay up to like 150 yards of the hole, whoever's best from 150 yards in that hole is going to obviously, um, is going to obviously have the, the huge advantage. Right. So uh, I'm looking at approach play. There's not, now there isn't really a, um, 
a particular waiting for me this week on any proximity. We've seen it like Bay Hill was obviously huge on long irons. Pebble was like short irons and wedges. And then Phoenix was uh, was mid irons kind of in the last month or so. Uh, this week, it's pretty even. Um, Sawgrass is a pretty like um, mixed bag in terms of kind of whole designs. And um, Dye was, I guess, pretty careful in, in making sure that, you know, these guys are tested throughout their bag. So uh, I didn't really see any um, any standout proximity range like from 100 to 200 plus it was all pretty uh uniform there so um for me it's going to be more so about just overall iron play uh who's just the best all around in their bag uh strokes gain approach is, is the best way to uh, for me to measure that par five scoring obviously when you're looking at a par 72 uh you're gonna have four par fives all four of them are pretty reachable all four of them have a 40 percent or higher birdie or better percentage uh, and so if you're not taking advantage of that, you're losing strokes to the field. Par five scoring is huge for me this week. Bogey void to the scrambling. We talked about that as well. Uh, Sawgrass has some of the smallest greens uh, on the PJ Tour. And with the winds whipping uh, most of the week, I do expect scrambling to be really, really key this week. And then good drives gained and GRs gained are my last two kind of key stats. Uh, good drives, like I said, just because uh, this, these are pretty tight fairways. You obviously do not want to be out of position off the tee here because you're there's nothing good. Like it's not a, a Tory Pines where you can hit it 40 yards offline and you're going to have a, a clear shot to the green, maybe in some thick rough, but you're not going to be in too much trouble. You start hitting it wayward here on uh, around Sawgrass. You're going to be in the trees. You're going to be in the pine straw, uh, in the water. The no one, nowhere you want to be off the fairway here. You want guys that can hit it down the fairway um, or at least find ways uh, to access some of these pins and the GR is gained as well. Um, it's going to be, I, th I think, um, a pretty boring um, blueprint for, for guys this week. I think, you know, Fairways and greens, we say it a lot, but um, with greens being this small, if you do, if you are able to hit the green, you're going to have a pretty good birdie look. Um, and so I think guys that maybe play a bit more conservatively, at least off the tee, and that can fire some pins and are, are solid iron players. Those are going to be my main leans uh, this week at, uh, at TPC Sawgrass. Yeah, cool. Sounds good. So I guess are we ready to, to hit the odds, odds board now, or do you have any other metrics you want to look let's, at? That's right. Unless you have any questions about uh, – about Sawgrass. I don't think so, because I heard 17 of 18 have water, and I was like, well, I'll never play there in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and me both, brother. You and me both. My ego can't take much of uh, many water balls. You, I play. Yours, at, least, at least you don't have that, like, like when I hit a ball on a water hole, it's like the target might as well have been on the water the entire time. Like, that's where I was just, <laughs> like, yeah. like to, to quote our own name of our podcast when i go to a water hole i'm not flag hunting i'm trying not to go to the water <laughs> yeah he's just he's just dry land hunting <laughs> where's where's any grass on the course let's go there <laughs> all right uh, so i guess with that being said we'll jump over to the boards um yeah and then just kind of looking at all three books i feel like every book has something different so it's a little interesting <laughs> to look at this week um but yeah i guess I do it Sorry, I, I, I was going to say, I just I think that kind of goes with the theme that this place is really volatile and books really don't. Um, maybe that, that just shows a little bit of indecision from the books and, and who they really like this week. Because, yeah, to your point, you can find some really uh, out there numbers on some guys that you wouldn't expect. Yeah, so the top three seem to be the same on all three books, but in diff every single book has a different order. So DraftKings has JT at 10 to 1, John Rahm at 10 to 1, Rory at 16, and Colin at 16. DraftKings has Colin as the top, their their top. They have Colin at the top at 13, John Rom tied at 13, and then JT at 15. 
And then uh, the book that we use, which is Pavada, is John Rahm at 12, Colin at 16, and JT at 16. So depending on where you want to go, you should be smart about <laughs> searching your books because you could probably find a better odd elsewhere. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so with that being said, of those three or four, if you want to tack on Rory to that, um, we do land on one of those guys, but I'll let you touch on who you want to touch on there. Uh, yeah, so I think the books got it absolutely right. The top three are legitimately the number one, number two player in the world and the defending champion. So um, it's not hard to see why they're all at very short odds this week. Um, yeah, I, when I first woke up on Monday morning, I saw Rom and Colin both at 14 and 16 to one. And I um, I almost just made that my card like very like um, just to be um, just to be clear. Like I, I, I really. It, it does feel like Rom's win is coming. Like, I know he finished, again, he wasn't really contention. He finished, like, 17th at Bay Hill. But, again, he struck the ball so well. He was, uh, I mean, he, he led the field, I believe. I think he was second in the field after Sheffield on approach and, like, seventh in the field off the tee. Uh, could not chip, could not putt. It's been the same old story for Rom over the last, like, four weeks now. Uh, he leads the field in total ball striking, but he is, like, well outside the top 70 when it comes to the short game. Uh, so definitely some some, like, Interesting, like for a guy that has never really struggled with this, it's kind of weird to see him kind of having some of the best ball striking numbers of his life and then not be able to kind of put it together in the, the areas that he's historically done really well at. So, um, yeah, Rom's kind of become kind of calling more cow overnight, which is a little bit uh, interesting to see. But certainly it, it does feel like it's coming. I mean, Rom is we, we talk about him every week like he's clearly capable of winning this tournament. JT is playing, I think, a little even a little better than Rom personally. Uh, when it comes to his all-around game, I think JT's irons uh, suit him suits uh, this place really, really well. Obviously, he won here last year. His round-the-green game will help him if, if wins get uh, too tough. Um, and, you know, the putter is steadily improving. I think JT and Rom both, it does feel like the win's coming, uh, as well as the guy that we have on our card. We have Colin Morcow at 20-1. to 1. Um, I, I'll, get, I'll get to the numbers later on. But, yeah, I mean, this podcast is, like, what, like six months old. Uh, it feels like this is like the hundredth time I'm giving my synopsis of why like Colin Morikawa should win this week's golf tournament. Um, but let me just skip to the point. Like of all the stops we make on the PGA Tour uh, every year, and it's kind of tough to say this because we have a bit of a small sample size on Colin. He's only been on tour for two and a half years. Um, but I, I seriously can't have another place more suited to Colin's game than Sawgrass. Um, everything we talked about, keeping trouble off the tee. He is number two in this field in both fairways gained. Uh, which is basically a percentage of fairways compared to the average uh, for that week. Uh, and then good drives gained, which is uh, basically a metric that measures drives that result in a green regulation. So it's basically both and both a driving stat and an iron stat because you have to be a good iron player obviously hit the green regulation. But it's also a measure of keeping your drives out of trouble because obviously if you're hitting a GIR, typically you're in a pretty good spot off the tee because you've set yourself up to hit a good iron shot. Uh, and give yourself a birdie chance. So he's number two in both those metrics. Um, and then the iron play we talked about that was so important at the top. Uh, he's the only player in the field to be in the top 15 of every proximity range from 75 to 200 yards. I talked about um, being good throughout your bag from wedge all the way to long irons. Um, Colin is certainly that. I mean, being top 15 out of 140 of the best players in the world, that's top 10% uh, of the best players in the world from every single proximity range. So no matter if it's 80 yards in the fairway or 210 in the fairway, I trust Colin Morikawa um, to get that ball close and give himself so many birdie looks. Um, his Again, his lack of distance um, in quotes, he's not exactly short off the tee, but he's certainly no Rom or DJ or Brooks or Rory off the tee when it comes to distance. But again, 
it'll be about as little of a factor as it is anywhere like we'll ever go with this kind of field. Um, obviously, there are places like smaller venues like Harbor Town and maybe like a Pebble Beach where like length means even less. But when you talked about when you talk about major venues and like the the crown jewels of the sport, like there's very few that um, that de-emphasize driving distance like Sawgrass does. And so it's more about, again, hitting the fairway, keeping it out of, uh, of trouble. And Colin, uh, of all the elite guys, I think is the best at, at that particular type of driving. Um, and then, you know, we look at maybe his history here isn't so good, but he does have a win already on a heavily de- on a heavily penal demanding Florida golf course at the concession against an elite field. Uh, it was WGC with all the best players in the world. He outdoed Kepka, he outdoed Hovland, Scheffler, all the rest. Um, and that was, what, 13 months ago. So. Um, he's already, he's got the good Florida history. Uh, he also has a seventh. He was in the final group with Stuart Sink last year at another, uh, Southeastern short Pete Dye design at Harbor town. So again, he's proven himself, uh, worthy at these type of golf courses. Um, and 20 to one to me is just honestly a bonus. I mean, the fact that we can get a guy of his caliber, I mean, his last four starts in the PGA tour, eighth, seventh, second, and eighth. Um, I was prepared to click him at 14 to one when the, when the lines opened, I uh, have no problems with the 16 to one I see now, but I will gladly take a 20 if it's being handed to me. Colin Morikawa leads the card, as he does every week. But I, I honestly think, man, like it, he could legit win like two or three of these things of, of players' championships, like um, when all said and done his career. Like I think he fits this place so well. Um, and um, like if 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 you could sign me up for 15 years of Colin Morikawa at 20 to one at the players, like I'll just I'll pay up front. Like just I'm gonna be like as long as he's you know, like as long as he doesn't regress, which I don't think he will, um, like it's just it's a perfect fit. Like we talk about Speed at Augusta, we talk about Rory Bayhill, Rahm at Torrey Pines. Like I think this could be Collins like home away from home, you know, here in Florida as a as a California kid. So uh, a lot to say, but uh, that's my that's my man. And that's my the guy leading my car this week. So um, you shared on Twitter earlier this week the prop where you could do the winner of both uh the players and the masters so being that we're already in on colin how does he i guess it's a little kind of little middle mini masters preview does does colin line up pretty well for augusta or would you be would or would you go the opposite direction where maybe a guy that you're not betting here would you go with like a rom or justin in that prop rather than colin um so I, the problem with Colin, pr- the problem with that prop that Chris just mentioned, um, because clearly <clears throat> Rom, Colin, JT, they could both do the double. At 175 to 1, 225 to 1, and 225 to 1 that I'm seeing right now, uh, I just don't really. It's crazy. I don't crazy to say I don't love those odds at those crazy numbers. Um, but I actually went further down the board. I've actually taken the second approach you said, which is guys that I'm fading as an outright this week. I do want a bit of insurance. The one that sticks out to me is Brooks Kepka. Um, we'll get to him later as far as a, as a 25 to one outright, which is insane based on where I'm seeing him at other chops. Uh, but he's 700 to one to win the players and the masters. Um, I've dipped on that twice because I'm just so because I do like Brooks a lot this week. I just don't want to bet him at 25 to one. Um, and so this is my like little FOMO bet where if Brooks wins. Yeah, I'm not going to be too happy on Sunday night, if, especially if he's one of our guys. But at least we have that little nugget sitting in the um, in the account for the masters little free roll there. So. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll start by saying this is not a smart bet. Like, I don't think, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't like, you know, tout it as being like, oh yeah, like you, you have to grab this. This is very much a degenerate type of like, oh, let's just grab this 700 to one for like five bucks. Cause I feel like it. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of like, I guess 
honestly, in terms of like combination of fit, I think JT might be the better bet. Like, I think I like JT a bit better at Augusta compared to Colin. Uh, he does have a bit better of, um, you know, he's a bit longer off the tee, which helps at Augusta, but he's also got the short game. He's at the experience at Augusta. Um, whereas Colin, I don't know, like he hasn't really sniffed it at the Masters yet. And it's very rare that you see like a guy um, kind of not come from obscurity, but at least come from limited master success to winning the green jacket. They kind of have to build to it oftentimes. And so I would, in that case, lean towards JT or Rom in that particular prop. But um, again, I don't really want to um, to be putting that much money into like <laughs> Masters players doubles because um, like if they win the players, it's just if they lose the players, it's just lost money anyway. So it, yeah. it sounds on paper, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll be sticking to just the outright this week, and then I'll, I'll have my little Brooks ticket. I've got a I've got a Cameron Smith ticket at twelve hundred to one as well on the side. Um, that if you guys want, you can you can go grab and adore, I actually have a Jordan Spieth ticket at 700 to one as well. But that, that's it. That's that's all I've done uh, in terms of that crazy market. Um, but but yeah, I I don't want to fire too many bullets at, at a at a prop that uh, they put there for a reason for songers like me. Yeah, no, but I've I, I only bring it up because, like you said, if we want to double down or if there's a guy that we're not betting this week that you do like in the matches. Hey, I spent a dollar on, on worse things. So. <laughs> totally agree buddy totally agree uh, by all means like I, I think yeah like i said of those three i think jt would probably be my pick jt i i would i would go jt rom colin if i had to rank order those top three in terms of odds of winning both the players and the masters um okay. but yeah but we're we're 100 on team colin um this week of the players so no no need for the jt vibes he can he can save it for augusta uh <laughs> I'm, I'm fully confident my man Colin this week so as we should be, because 20 to 1 for, uh, like you said, 20 to, 21 for a guy like him seems crazy. I mean, that would be like seeing Kyle Larson or Kyle Bush at 15 to 1 for me, or, or maybe not, they made that high, maybe like 12 to 1. And it's like I'm going to be jumping on that every opportunity. So, right. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. It is obviously a lot tougher to win, um, especially this golf tournament compared to. Um, like a NASCAR race, especially on a track that these guys like, but um, I can kind of see, like, I don't know, like, I guess the the bear case for Colin would be the fact that, well, number one, he's only started here one time and he finished uh, 44th, although he did, it was kind of similar to Genesis when we were previewing the Genesis, he struck the ball really, really well in 2021 and just couldn't ever putt. It does seem like the short game is coming around. He kind of chipped and putted his way into contention at the Genesis, so good signs, good vibes coming in uh, with a short game, and so, um, I guess that would be the main bear case. And then the fact that I guess if wins kick up and it becomes a scrambling fest, it's, he's not exactly the guy you would love. Um, but again, the ball striking is so good and the course fits so good that I just would hate myself again if he, if he were to get it done and I wasn't on him. So uh, the number is too good and uh, I'm, I'm all the way in. Understood. And I'm glad to have him. So we'll move it down the board here. Um, so the next kind of batch of guys here, we got Patrick Cantley at 20 to one Rory at 22 Victor Hovland at 22, Brooks Kepa at 25, Hideki at 28, and last week's champion for the second time in three weeks, Scotty Scheffler at 28. So we yeah. have one in this range, but I know there's another guy that you kind of already touched on that you want to talk a little bit more about. So, yeah, right. have at it. Yeah, I mean, again, a very, a very, very interesting range. I mean, again, we have all the best players in the world here, and you're seeing some very, very – fair enticing prices on guys i mean 
Uh, I've seen Cantley at 25 to one in other shops, so 20 to one for me does feel a little bit rich, uh, considering Cantley hasn't really ever played well here. His irons are uh, a bit out of form right now, so obviously he could turn that around very, very quickly. But again, he doesn't have the recent form I'd love to see uh, in terms of the ball striking for me uh, here at Sawgrass. Roy at 22. Um, look, if this becomes like target practice, Roy's as live as anybody. Um, he proved last week at Bay Hill he still got the ball striking chops. He got, yeah, he got chopped up and spit out with the wind uh, on the weekend, but certainly seems like he's in good form. Victor, you can convince me about Victor Hovland anytime you want. Uh, 22 to 1 here for him. Um, Kepka's the guy at 25. Again, I, I'm not touching him at 25. Like, even though I do like Brooks this week, um, I, I'll li- I like another guy or another couple guys down the board that we'll get to later uh, better than him, but I have seen 40s and 50s. Uh, on him and I think at that price it's kind of too good to pass up um he's actually been striking the ball really really well came coming off a 14th place at Honda a third place uh at the Waste Major Phoenix Open um kind of sandwiched between a miscut of the Genesis but we do are we are seeing the ball striking start to come back for Brooks I do feel like the win is coming I kind of have him circled at Augusta which is why um I put that little Hail Mary prop in there at 700 to 1 but uh certainly Brooks I think the narrative's um of him kind of starting the year slow or maybe a little overblown. I think the, the underlying stats really, really uh, are pointing to him this week. And um, if you can find a 40 to one or, or better, um, I don't think, I don't see how you can say no to that. Um, it looks like he's a 35 on both DraftKings and FanDuel right now. Yeah. It's frustrating, man. I, I like we have, this is why, you know, we need legalized gambling in our state <laughs> because um, you just don't have access to books that, you know, are dropping really, really nice lines on guys that I really like. So, uh, it's part of the game. You know, it's, I was able to get a 21 on Colin, which maybe a lot of other uh, people in other states weren't able to. So it kind of comes and goes. It's, it's um, you know, it's not always fair, I guess, um, depending on where you are. But uh, certainly 40, 35, uh, you can talk me into any any of those for Brooks. Uh, I guess we'll get to get to the pick I actually made. I, I have Hideki Matsuyama at 30 to 1. Um, yeah, we're going to we're going to stay on the train. You know, if they're going to keep giving us fair numbers. On the most prolific winner of the last 12 months, I'm going to continue to take him. Um, we look at Decky last week. We were on him at Bay Hill at around 22 to one, I believe, uh, 25 to one. But he did fail to capitalize on some calm round one conditions. It was that was where all the scoring was done. You know, Rory came out in day one and, and killed it. Zalatoris and M um, were were up there as well on day one. And Decky kind of floundered. He had 73 on round one. He lost two strokes off the tee. Hit one OB. Uh, was not really all that sharp. But after that Thursday 73, uh, kind of the tee to green play we, we've all come to expect from uh, from Decky came rolling back. He finished T20. Um, that's a, he's now had nine of ten tournaments uh, where he's gained strokes from tee to green, and now four or five where he's gained individually in all in all these three phases. So off the tee approach around the greens, he's gained in four uh, of his last five. Now we come to a venue where he finished top uh, 23 in five of his last seven appearances. He holds the course co-record thanks to an open round 63. Uh, he actually fired that in the opening round of the COVID cancel rendition in 2020. So he was the first round leader in 2020 uh, when the tournament got canceled. So, you know, very likely could have improved on those kind of five of seven top 23s. Very likely to be six of eight, if not another top five or ten in there as well. Um, and, um, yeah, it, he's now coming to a course as well that possesses very similar overseeded Bermuda greens uh, to the ones we saw in Phoenix uh, he's coming off an eighth place finish at, at the West Management there, uh, where he gained 3.5 strokes uh, putting a month ago. So again, I, I I'm going to continue to ride Hideki. I just think uh, the TD Green play is just so so good. 
he's still trending and they're still giving us numbers that um, imply like there's like a glaring flaw. And I, you know, other than the putter, I really, I really can't see uh, see much reason not to go against Decky. He's, he's putted well on these kind of services before. He gained four strokes putting in the aforementioned uh, round one round, uh, the 63 he fired in 2020. Um, number seven, uh, Tita Green uh, in the field. Number 13 on approach. Uh, number five in proximity from 200 plus. Top five far, top par five score as well. So, um, yeah, he's a guy I really like this week. And at 30 to one, again, there's a lot of good numbers out there, but uh, he was one that really stuck out to me as a, as a guy I was I was targeting. Yeah, and again on Fandle, he's at 31. Yeah. Um, DK and Bavada both have a 25. So, or sorry, Bavada's 28. But still, again, like like we, I feel like it's the theme of the podcast. Just this, the board, the books are all over the board on these on this tournament. So if you like somebody or if you have a lean on somebody, you can probably find a better number elsewhere. So just search for it. Yeah, there's some there's some really like you can make some really, really good looking cards on paper. Uh, I'll say that. I mean, I, I like I like the look of our card, but um, you know, I've seen, you know, I mean, it's not often you're able to get, you know, the master champion at 28 to one and, and guys like Brooks Kepka at 40. And uh, I'm sure some other guys that Chris will talk about uh, and I will talk about later on kind of in this kind of this 30 to 50 range. But, um, you know, it, it's it's definitely jarring to see this many top names kind of. Um, making their place here um, at very successful numbers. So our next range here is the 30 to kind of 40 range here. Uh, it looks like we have two guys in this range. So we'll start with Daniel Berger at 30, Xander at 30, Cam Smith at 33, Dustin Johnson at 33, Jordan Spieth at 40, Matt Fitzpatrick at 40, Shane Lowry at 40, and Sung J.M. at 40. So two guys in that range. Um, starting off with Cam Smith at well, 33 is what he's posted at. We have a 40 on him. So yeah, so yeah, we'll we'll start with a pick that I made in this range. Yeah, Cam Smith 40 to one. Uh, full disclosure, kind of going into most like mornings uh, when odds are about to be posted, I kind of have a pretty decent idea of who my main runners are. Chris did make a short list on kind of Sunday nights of guys that I have um, a lot of interest in. Obviously, with the players being such a marquee event, I've had my kind of picks in the back of my mind for a little while now. Um, but, um, Cam's one of the kind of the few instances where my initial impressions of a player, um, really changed significantly as my week, as my research deepens. Uh, he rated out number three in my model, uh, behind Raman JT and, and just in every turn, I found myself kind of more and more bullish on him. Uh, over the last 36 rounds, Cam rates out number four in par five scoring, number three in burns and better gains, eighth in scrambling, 14th on approach. And for my money, he's the best putter, uh, walking the planet right now. So, um, yeah, he just, he. He just pops in every single metric. Forty uh, one's a crazy price. Uh, we've seen him succeed in both Grindfest, where scrambling uh, and bogey avoidance is paramount. With the, he's got a phenomenal short game, so if the winds kick up and you're forced to kind of have to save pars all weekend long, he's more than capable of doing that. Uh, and it's, we've seen him win in shootouts with soft conditions, where birdie making and iron play are, are paramount. So you know, Kapalua, he got to 34 under, was sticking iron shots, uh, obviously putting the lights out. So he can he can kind of succeed in both kind of um scenarios that i that i envision with the weather um obviously the one flaw with cam the reason he's not the best player in the world is the driver um obviously you know i'm gonna be clenched for every tee shot he hits probably all week uh but after that first ball is in play i don't think there's anyone better on the planet uh at giving the ball in the hole as quickly as possible uh and 41 is a super soft price so again cam's flawed but i think the things he does really well play really well at sawgrass um and you know 
when you talk about wind play, when you talk about bogey avoidance, he's got that. When you talk about iron play and birdie making, he's got that. So I think we've kind of got our, our um, all of our outs covered with Cam. And as long as the driver isn't a huge uh, problem, as long as he's not going OB on every hole, I think uh, he's right. He'll be he'll be right there at the end. Yeah, and we we saw that putting on display you know earlier this year at um, what am I drawing like on Hawaii the tournament champions tournament champions yes yeah yes. Um, yeah that's what I'm saying it's so crazy because like I mean it's it just takes like two weeks off and a crazy good field and he's forty to one you know for a guy that a lot of people are, are counting for majors this year for the Masters like I said I have a a crazy twelve hundred to one uh, kind of prop parlay of him to win the players and the masters. Um, I think he finished uh, T18 here last year. He obviously has two top three finishes at Augusta. So he rates out really well for both of those courses. I think that's not a bad bet to make if you're into that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, man, it's just, it, it's just, um, I don't know. It's crazy. I, there's, I've said it like 80 times, but there's so many good numbers. I mean, you look at even the, the guys alongside him in this range. I mean, Xander Schauffele at 30 to one, I mean, you, you would have talked to me in January. I would have taken Xander at 30 to one anywhere. Like, just give me Xander Shoffley at 30 to one. I don't care where the tournament is, what kind of form he's in. Um, Daniel Berger at 30 to one. I mean, uh, when you talk about wind play, when you talk about keeping the ball in the fairway, when you talk about iron play, I mean, he is basically um, kind of the lower tier version of Collins. So I think he fits this place super well. Him and Hideki were kind of vying for my last kind of ad there uh, at 30 to one. I could very well get back to Berger if I wanted to maybe expose myself a little bit more. About 30 to one is a more than fair number for him. Uh, DJ at 33 to one. I mean, yeah, you have, we haven't seen much of DJ. What we have seen has not been great, but again, it, he's probably the most naturally talented golfer we've seen um, in the last 10 years plus. So um, certainly he's more than capable of flipping the switch. He's kind of started to trend better uh, at Sawgrass from year to over year. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see DJ uh, in contention. Then you look at the two Euros, Fitzpatrick and Lowry. Uh, that have kind of popped these last few weeks. Lowry in the kind of the slug fest at Honda was right there at the end. Uh, someone argue maybe should have won that. Uh, Fitzpatrick's been very impressive over his kind of first three months here on the PGA Tour uh, in 2022. Um, kind of, a, again, a good all-around game. Gritty Euro, great in the winds, great putter, great short game, uh, improving as an iron player and hits a ton of fairways. So, like I said, I, I think you could really make a great case for a lot of these guys. It's not hard uh, to talk yourself into too many guys kind of at the top of this list. Um, so I would, I would seriously, like if you, if you want to have some fun, just pick your favorites this week. I, I really don't think there's a, a bad uh, selection underneath 35 to one. I really don't. Yeah. And um, one guy that's currently listed in that range that we just said, but we got a better number is Jordan Spieth. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a guy that I guess I don't know if I was really expecting him to be on your card this week. So, and I don't know if maybe maybe if you were, but to me this one was a little bit of a surprise to me because I know that he's pretty much a lock for most people's card for Augusta. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, for me it was a it was a shock to see him. So, yeah, plead your case, of, or am I just dead wrong? Should I have been? Should I knew he was going to be on the card all along? Uh, no, I think your 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 read on my um. My overarching strategy is, is pretty spot on. I don't bet speed a lot. <laughs> He's not a guy I, I tend to like too much. I, I gravitate towards ball strikers. I gravitate towards um, guys that can't putt and don't win. So <laughs> speed does not fit my criteria in that in that regard. But again, it's about the number. It's I got 55 to one. You can still find it at 40 and 50 to one other places now. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I mean, it's not like speed's in bad form. 
Uh, the ball strike has been actually really good to start 2022. He obviously finished runner up at Pebble Beach, um, had a couple solid made cuts um, at uh, Phoenix. And then he, you know, he had the first round co-lead with Scotty Scheffler there after the AM wave at the Genesis. Uh, if it weren't for Neiman just putting on an absolute fireworks show, he would have been there deep in the mix on Sunday, kind of wilted um, with a 10 shot deficit. Like there's only so much you can do when the guy fires um, back to back 64s at ribs. So uh, I'm not going to hold anything against Jordan for that. It's just um, it's another example of just I can't let this number pass me by. It's kind of the same logic. Granted, if I had a, a Kepka 50 instead of a speed 55, I would probably be on Brooks this week. Full disclosure, because um, I just I do like his fit a little bit better for Sawgrass. Uh, speed does have a, a fourth place finish in his first start here. He hasn't uh, finished better than 40th since. So and it makes sense. He he much like Cam Smith, he does struggle with the driver. Um, so. Again, like, would it surprise me at all to see Spieth go OB right on, like, the first hole and make, like, a seven? No, but um, it does seem like the distance is actually picked up for Spieth, which is interesting. Um, he's still not hitting a ton of fairways, but the distance has actually improved. And the only reason I bring that up on a such positional kind of um, shorter golf course is because it brings him to play. He could actually club down a little bit. I think he could hit a three-wood and hit maybe some of the, the driving irons and get the ball in the fairway, um, especially if Musin's are a bit windy and, and you do have to kind of uh, play the ball up lower. And again, much like Cam Smith, one speech in the fairway, like all the problems are gone. Like he's, his iron play has been great. And then the short game and the putting speak for themselves. So I think he does fit this place really well. I, I like speed a lot. If they can get tougher, uh, much like if it's Patrick or Lowry, um, I like him in those kind of open championship, brutal, difficult conditions uh, where par saves and whatnot are, um, are paramount. Uh, but speed again at 55 to one, um, yeah, you're just not, you're just not going to see me pass on a number like that. Um, especially with the form he's in, uh, it, it feels like a, just a complete nutter miss price. Yeah. And then this last range here, we're seeing a lot of, uh, guys that have been recent form in this range. So you've got a T2 last week from Billy Horschel, a T9 from Corey Connors, um, Sam Burns T, was he in T9 as well? Yes, he was top. He, he backed toward the top 10 last week. Um, and then who's the other name I was just looking at? Hatton, T2 Neiman. last week. Yeah, Neiman, Neiman a winner. Um, Ustazen was on everyone's lips a couple weeks ago. Right, right. So a lot of guys that seem like they have a lot of uh, recent form here. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure this was a very tough range for you, but um, you ended up landing on Louie. We're back in the wall with Louie, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, keep keep him start on the uh, on the PGA Tour app. We're, we're not uh, losing the faith quite yet. Um, again, did he have an underwhelming Honda based on the expectations of him? Yeah, we bet him at 20 to one. Obviously he never competed. He had a really bad day one, somehow made the cut on day two with a final nine, like 29. I think he shot, yeah, I think he shot six or seven under on the final nine of his Friday rounds to make the cut. And then, um, just kind of cruise his way to a, I think a 30th place finish at the Honda, which again, it's not going to cash any outright tickets. It's not going to make any headlines. Um, but the fact that he did lead the field in birdies, uh, at least till the last, I think Straka might have caught him up at the last hole, but the fact that Louis was even up there in birdie making uh, shows that kind of the ceiling is there. Like the skill set is there. He's not playing badly. He just got got by a really, really difficult golf course at Honda. Uh, to my point, he lost by the stats 4.1 strokes on approach. Um, that's all three holes. So the bear trap absolutely destroyed Louis. Uh, I think he made a double or he made two doubles and a triple on the bear trap. I think he put four balls in the water over two days there, which lost him about six chokes on approach. So between those three holes, 
Uh, he went from gaining two or three strokes in approach to losing four. So I again, I, I, I mentioned last week about the Honda stats with Sungjae not really mattering that much just because, again, a couple loose shots and you just lose a cataclysm amount of strokes uh, in the strokes gained uh, formula. So <clears throat> I, I think, again, <clears throat> he's, he's got some stuff to clean up, but we're getting a crazy good number uh, on a guy that's, what, number 14 in the world right now, a guy that um, plays difficult golf course as well. All, I mean, all of the arguments we made um, for him for the Honda still apply, I think, to Sawgrass. He has a runner finish here to Siwoo, uh, and that was in a year, again, like we mentioned earlier, that was exceedingly difficult. It was one of the highest scoring uh, years in Players' Championship recent history at least uh and so he's proven again he can he can play his way around here when it gets tough when it gets blustery and windy uh the tita green game is still i have no concerns with him from tita green um and yeah we're getting 60 to 1 like i i don't really feel like i have to make a crazy like compelling case here yeah he's he's flawed like you can you can point you can pick out kind of holes in the case but uh when you're getting the 14th best player in the world at, at 66 to 1 uh it's hard to really say no to that so um for me i mean a card of, I mean, we're not really even all that overexposed this weekend. We have Colin Morikawa, Hideki Matsuyama, Cameron Smith, Jordan Spieth, and Louis Dazen. Like, it's kind of like dreamland in a way. Like, yeah, there are guys that I would love to be having the card as well, but I'm more than happy to, to take a take a couple shots down the board and um and just bank on the pedigree. Yeah, no, I, I like the way the the card shaped up this week because I I can't remember. And maybe it's just this lack of remembrance for me, but I just can't remember odds ever looking this crazy. I mean, I've I feel like every time I'm scrolling between the three books, I'm like, oh my god, like how is that is that a real number? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, typically I'm betting like I don't know. Um, trying to think of like one of my one of my many muses. I'm usually betting like Doug Gamut like eighty to one. You know what I mean? I'm not betting like Louis Ustase in at sixty six. Which granted, this is one of the one of the toughest fields um, in world golf, and, and obviously this is uh, one of the tougher events to win on the PJ Tour. But yeah, like there's just comes a point where if you believe in a guy and you see him at sixty to one, fifty to one, like you just have to you just have to click it. Like I love Daniel Berger and I love. You know, some of the guys that are maybe more informed down the board, you know, Scheffler, it's a huge ask, but obviously he's playing great. Berger at 30 to one, uh, a guy like Fitzy at 40, but um, I'll take two of, you know, I'll take the number 13, number 14 player in the world at the same price, please. So, yeah. And I think you made a good point earlier in the podcast of saying, kind of comparing this to my, the world of NASCAR in my realm, yeah. saying this is, this looks like the Daytona 500 odds. And I think you're right. And it's like, at the, at the 500, I kind of always tell people, hey, this is the event, if you're just getting NASCAR betting that you want to watch, and you should just bet your guy and, yep. and go with it. It kind of feels like the same sentiment here. Like, hey, just sit back, bet your guys, and enjoy this tournament because it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, man. And, and I mean, you, you've got, you got um, I guess, in-law family now in kind of this area, uh, I happen to know. So. Um, I'm, I know I've heard stories from, from them, uh, about, about going to this tournament and I, it's one, it's one, I think on every golf fans bucket list. I mean, 16, 17, 18 are some of the craziest closing holes we have in the sport. It's, it's going to be a, a real show, uh, very similar to that of Phoenix where you have the kind of that party atmosphere this time in the South. Uh, hopefully the weather doesn't, uh, deter too many people, but yeah, I mean, Sawgrass is literally, it's, it's must see television. If, even if you're not a golf fan, I think you, the, the weekend of Sawgrass is just so volatile. It's it's typically filled with so many marquee names and um, uh, hopefully we'll get a nice, a nice sweat going uh, ourselves here uh, on the weekend because uh, there's nothing like, there's nothing like bagging a big one. You know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to bag 
uh, an open championship winner, a, um, a PJ championship winner as well. So there's nothing like, you know, when the world is watching, you know, when, when your guys, um, when you guys are right there in the mix. So uh, it just feels a little bit different. I'm sure you can relate with, with some of the marquee events that we have in NASCAR. So, uh, yeah, should be absolutely fun. I, I've, I, I've only spent 16 units, which is actually a little bit less than I typically say, um, I typically spend it. The only reason for that is because the last couple Florida events, we've seen some kind of come from behind winners and with the, with the inclement weather, you never know when maybe the leaders do get chipped up by a bit of wind. So, um, yeah, maybe I add maybe one more guy at 40, uh, one more guy at 50. That's kind of luxury having all these good numbers. It's like you're able to you're able to uh, put together a card of elite players, and you still might have a bit of change on the side uh, if you want to take a punt or two um, as you see fit. So uh, that's all that's all I've got for the players championship, man. I hope you uh, hope you guys enjoy it. It's it's again one of the one of the more, most exciting events in golf, and um, we're we're continuing on a great stretch with with this, and we got. Um, the ballots bar next week, match play, and a couple weeks after that in the Masters uh, that we're all super excited for here uh, next month. So, yeah, can't wait. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, that'll wrap up the card. And just to kind of how it, just review it real quick, we got Colin Morikawa, Heidi Hideki Matsuyama, Kim Smith, Jordan Spieth, and Louis Oosthuizen on the card this week. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a great week to to tune in and to hopefully land one of these guys and land or land a winner this week. Cause we've been so close. So um, yeah, one more plug before we leave, uh, or I guess two more plugs, really plugging ourselves and then plugging somebody else, but plugging ourselves is if there's any week to follow at flag underscore hunting on Twitter, this is the week to do it. Like I said, my card's not complete yet. And Ian sounds like he's definitely pondering another ad or two with these, these crazy numbers. And then I'm going to plug uh, full tank Phil. Like I said, I was on his podcast right before I jumped on here um, so if you've never listened to his podcast and want to hear uh, hear kind of my thoughts over there or hear a different side to some NASCAR bets, Phil's always been a big advocate of us, so I want to be a big advocate advocate for him as well. So feel free to jump on over there. Both these podcasts will probably be posted in the morning. So if you're listening to this one, go ahead and queue up his to play next. So yeah. But with that being said, I think it's going to close us out this week. Um, yeah, fun week, first major really of of the golf world for this year. So yeah. Um, yeah, this is yeah the first crown jewel I would say for sure. Um, you know, Tory and Riviera were fun. Bay Hill was fun, um, but twenty million dollars talks and uh, three point six million to the winner. They're going to be some uh, some very motivated golfers coming on the course on the weekend to try to capture the biggest purse uh, we've seen so far. So yeah, like I said, can't wait, man. Like you said, uh, full tank Phil, one of my you know friend of the pod, go to NASCAR guys. So uh, and a stand up all around good guy as well. So. Um, can't wait to listen to that and uh, you have a good rest of your week, man. Yeah, same to you. We'll, we'll talk to you guys next Tuesday. All right. Peace out.